listening to the Bay Christian Family Church podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Philippians chapter 4. And we have been talking about the anointing. And for those that have been with us for some time, if you haven't been in any of our previous messages, I do encourage you to go and catch up. It's on our various forms, our various platforms, uh, podcasts, etc. Because there's a lot of underlying scripture that we've already covered. Talking about Christ. When we say Christ, it's not just another name for Jesus. Uh, We know we're referring to Jesus, but the word Christ is not a name, it's a description. In fact, it's a Greek word translated from the Hebrew word Hamashiach. Hamashiach is a word that means the anointed one. Everybody say the anointed one. The anointed one is anointed because of the anointing. It's the anointing in the anointed one's life that removes burdens and destroys yokes. It's that reason when Jesus, when the Bible tells us he came to the earth, he came as a man. But Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So yeah, we notice the anointing is a person. Not a thing. We do know that in the Old Testament, they would anoint the kings, the priests, the prophets. So the king, the priest, the prophet was anointed under the Old Covenant, but they weren't born again as we are, so they couldn't have the Holy Spirit within them. But he would have to come on them for specific purpose for specific moments. So they would anoint them with oil. There was a tangible connection, either oil or a jacket, some form, way of transferring the concept of that anointing. Now, obviously, under the new covenant, we do have aspects of that. We can still anoint with oil. We can take cloths from our body, just as Paul did. And when it touched others, that anointing that was there healed that person. We lay hands on the sick. There's a transference of anointing. So there is still a physical contact, but we understand the anointing is not in the oil. The anointing is the person of the Holy Spirit. So it was still the Holy Spirit, even though they may not have understood the full concept of that, it was still the presence of the Holy Spirit that enabled them to prophesy. And so yeah, we see Jesus as the anointed one. So whenever we see the word Christ, We can take that word and translate it as the anointed one. We can determine by context, is this referring to the person, Jesus, as the anointed one? Or is it dealing with the anointing in his life that we now have? Because when you're born again, you receive the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit dwells within you, the same anointing. And then we can determine, are we speaking about the anointing? So we've been exploring that in detail. Now, that anointing is for purpose. It's to remove burdens and destroy yokes. And as you saw last week, we discussed two prayers that I pray over you every single day, and they're referencing the anointing. Remember, we have the mind of Christ. Christ became for us wisdom, that we are filled with the knowledge of that will, and we can expand in that. And so there's another prayer that I also pray over you, and uh, for time's sake, it takes quite a context. Uh, it takes time to explore the context of it. And so we're going to do that today. Because how many of you have needs in your life? Let me see your hand. So you have needs. And yet the anointing is there to make sure that that need is provided. 
So if you have a look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, we all know the scripture. I'm sure you only have to be born again for three or four weeks and you'll know it. Because it's a very, it's one that we like. We, it's something we do need. Amen. And so let's all quote it together. Ready? Go. Amen. I did hear it again. And so for those that have been with us for some time, you know I've done this exercise before, so please tolerate it this time. This is for those that may be hearing it for the first time. What happens is every time I ask us to quote it, I, every time, every time, every time, I've never, any church I've been to, I never get this exactly right the first time. And I hear something very specific. And it is important to understand why we explore this because we must make sure that we quote Scripture accurately. Why? Because the power is in the written word as God said it. If we try and manipulate things or make it sound more by putting a little extra in there, it's like what happened to Eve. You know, in the garden, the Bible says she was deceived. Well, what happened? The enemy came to her and said, uh, what has God told you? And he was questioning the validity of that and whether God has exposed everything to her. Is he not maybe holding something back? And so he said, what has God told you? And she said, we may eat freely of all the trees, but of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, we may not eat or touch it. And the result was she was deceived. Now, you go study it out, you find out God didn't say that. God said you may not eat of the tree. See, sometimes we want to make a point and add a little extra in. God said you may not eat or touch the tree. Hallelujah. No, he didn't. He said you may not eat of it. Obviously, if they're going to tend the tree, they're going to have to touch it from time to time. Isn't that right? And so, if you understand the power of saying what God said, remember Jesus, when he was tempted... Uh, he said, it is written. And by saying it is written, he silenced that temptation immediately because he quoted scripture accurately. So had that been the truth, and it is the truth because Jesus demonstrated it, if Eve had accurately interpreted, said what God said, God said we may not eat of that tree, she would have silenced the devil right there. So just a slight manipulation of words, the temptation was completed. Can you see that? So that's how we land up with the enemy in our lives is because we either don't know the word on an issue or we try and manipulate it to fit our doctrine. That's something I really want to really teach us and we must know this and I encourage you to live by it. I live my life by it. We don't decide what we want to believe and then try and make scripture fit it. I've heard some messages, I think, whoa, that is making that scripture do backward flip-flops and stretches and, you know, you are really stretching it with that one. No, we can stay with the pure doctrine. It is written, therefore. Are you with me? You stay with what the word says. Don't make it fit your doctrine. You go to the scripture and then by the word determine what you believe. And if I want to believe something but it's contrary to scripture, I need to change what I believe to line up with the Word of God. So I've said all of that to come back to the Scripture. You ready? Quote it again. Go. That's better. See, it says, My God shall supply all. See, my, we, we, we even quote it for ourselves. My God supplies all my need. Hallelujah. Why? Because i got needs. I asked you already. How many you got needs? Every hand went up. So we want God to supply our need. 
But if you quote the scripture accurately and say it exactly as God has written it through Paul, he said, my God, Paul writing, shall supply all your. And if you quote it that way, you're going to say, my God shall supply all your need. You're always, as long as you're quoting it, you're reaching out. My God supplies your need. 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 That's wonderful because everyone's getting their needs supplied, but I need to be a your. While I'm quoting, I'm saying your, but I want to be a your. Are you with me? I can't twist the verse and say automatically, well, there you go. Hallelujah. God supplies my need. Hang on. There is a qualification. Notice it says and. And. If you're going to quote the scripture, you've got to put and in there. And you don't start the idea with and. Because and, you just say and, and what? And from where? So and comes at chapter 4. There's a chapter 3, 2, and 1. So let's start in the beginning. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. And here we read, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now, what's a bondservant? A bondservant is somebody, now remember, Paul, the Word of God says that we are no longer slaves but sons. We're no longer servants but sons. And yet, yeah, he says he's a bondservant, but he's born again. So he must be a son of God. So why is he saying he's a bondservant? Well, to understand that, if you look at the culture of the day, uh, obviously slaves are people that have been captured or bought or whatever and are now property. And so that, of course, is an evil system. And it's horrific and it should never be. And in fact, it, you know, that's what we're still fighting today is there, there are different forms of slavery. And it is evil. But we also got to be conscious and not lose sight of the biblical aspect of servanthood. Sometimes when we say servant, we think of that as demeaning. That's the person that does the worst job and works for other people. No, Jesus was the greatest servant amongst all of us. So being a servant is a powerful thing in the kingdom of God. And so if you understand what Paul is saying here, what a bond servant was, and it was lending from the culture, is let's say... A owner, someone who has a slave, has a turn of heart, they're very kind, they look after the person, they feed them, they look after their families, the fact that servant is treated almost like a son in the house. And eventually the owner comes and says, listen, you're not my slave anymore, I'm setting you free, you can go. I don't need you to be a, uh, I, I, I should never have bought you, I should never, have whatever, however, I'm letting you go. And that servant turns around and says, no. I, I am a son in this house. I want to stay. Yeah, but I, I don't want to look like I'm, I, I own slaves because I don't want to be a slave owner. That's fine. And they had a culture is that what that person would do is go then down to the town center and in front of everybody, they would take an awl, which is like an instrument, a sharp instrument, and they would drive a hole through their ear, put them on the door and knock a hole, so now they got a hole in the ear. So if you saw someone working as a slave, looks like a slave, but they have a hole, it's they choose to be there. They're not owned by the owner. It's by choice. The owner says you can walk out anytime you want. 
and he still treats him wonderfully, just like a son in the house. But the, 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 that person says, I'm still a slave. I'm still a servant to this man. But I'm doing it because I want to. Are you with me? That's a bond servant. And that's what Paul's saying. He set me free. I was in slavery. He came and set me free. I'm now a son, but I still want to serve him. And he's a bond servant. Hallelujah. So now you understand what that term means. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to how many? All the saints in the anointed one, Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. This is not even written to you. Oh, I love that. There's always someone who doesn't know what I'm saying and they go like, what? All Scripture is given for inspiration. Yeah, you're right, just hang in there, tiger. But we've got to be accurate, yeah? We're talking about a letter. That letter was written to somebody. Paul's very clear. He didn't say to all the church. He said to the saints in Philippi. Now, if... if, if if I got a letter, say I came in this morning, there was an envelope lying on my table here next to my chair, and I picked the envelope, and it said, Dear Pastor Allen, thank you for everything you've done for me and my family. We appreciate you so much, and in gratitude, we are sending you and your family on a fully paid trip to Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Ah, uh, Wow. Praise God. How many wouldn't mind that? Let me see. So I praise God. Put the letter down. So now that's a, that's a blessing, isn't it? Now, a person sitting behind me looks, I've come up here and they look on there. Dear Pastor Alan, okay, ignore that. Thank you for everything you've done. Ignore that. We appreciate you. Ignore that. We're sending you on a fully paid trip to Atlanta. Hallelujah. They turn to their friend. Look, we're going on a fully paid trip to Orlando. It is written. Can you do that? Why? It's addressed to Pastor Allen. You're quoting four, Philippians 4.19, but it's written to the church in Philippi. Was Pastor Allen saying we can't use the book of Philippians anymore? Hang in there. Now you do know I'm setting you up. You want to qualify for Philippians 4.19? Well, we have to look at how did he get there? How did we get to and? Well, what happened in Philippi? Now, Philippi, if you go study it out, you'll find Philippi is a town. It was actually a military uh, settlement in Macedonia. And what happened there was Paul was out preaching the gospel one day and there was a woman who was possessed by a demon. But she was walking around and as they were busy teaching the word or preaching it, she would shout out, listen to this man, he's from God. Everything he says is God, listen to him. Hallelujah, listen, he's a man of God. But the problem was it was interfering with the message. It's the same way, you know, we can have a discussion, we can all praise and cheer, but if I'm speaking now, I'm, you know, if someone's sitting on the front row while I'm talking and they keep shouting, listen to him, he's preaching the word. I'm like, okay, I'm not carrying on. Listen to him, he's preaching, this is the word. How you understand we'd all be distracted by that? And that's why we don't want distractions because the enemy uses that to get us away from the word. 
And so we make sure those things are looked after and contained. And yes, you may be excited, hallelujah, but you can go sit in a room quietly and praise God everything you want to. But right now we're in the environment of teaching. So his, this, this continued for a while and eventually he realized, hang on, this is not from God. This is actually a harassing spirit. And he realizes a demon and he casts it out of her. And that demon's gone. And she stops the, the, all of that noise. And the thing was that there were some rich people that were using that demon in her for fortune telling and doing that. And they were making a profit off of her. They're charging people for it. Now all of a sudden she couldn't prophesy anymore. She couldn't do fortune telling or whatever. And now their source of money is gone. So they raise up an accusation against him that he's stirring up nonsense. And so they have him arrested, him and Silas, and they put him in the inner dungeon. And at midnight, they're praising God and worshiping God. And the Spirit of God hits that place and shakes the walls and the, they come crunching down. All the gates burst open and the shackles fall off of their arms and they, they free. And there's a jailer looking after them and he sees the prison doors open. He thinks everybody's escaped, which means he's gonna be tortured or something by his, his superiors. Instead of doing that, he decides to commit suicide. He's about to fall on his sword and Paul stops him. Hey, whoa, 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 don't do that. We're all still here. He didn't just say him and Silas, he says we all. All the prisoners are still there. That's a miracle. Hello, I'm, you know, a prisoner sees a door burst open. Hey, man. No, he's like, no, they're all still there. And he leads that jailer to Jesus, gives his life to the Lord, takes him home. The jailer takes him home with him, leads his whole family to the Lord, gets them all baptized. And he uses that to plant a church there. And so that becomes the church in Philippi. And this is who he's writing to here. And you'll find out later, we're going to see in a moment, that they were actually a very poor town, very poor people. But we'll get to that just now. So now this church has been planted. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Whenever he thinks of the church in Philippi, he lands up thanking God. And he says, always in every prayer of mine, I make request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That means the day he planted that church was on that day that he had that encounter with that jailer. And he says, from that moment on, you've been in fellowship with me. Now, what does fellowship mean? Well, today we use it, you know, we're gonna go have fellowship. That means we're gonna sit down and have a cup of coffee. It's actually a much deeper term than that. It's more than just having a conversation. It's an old English word, really. And it's actually a word, it's revealed if you have a look at the Amplified Bible. Now, when you read the Amplified, just so that you're aware of it, the Amplified Bible is, the way it's written is they've taken the original Greek words and then expanded them into the sentences. Because sometimes a word can have more than one meaning or deeper meaning. The Amplified opens that up for you. Have a look at verse 5 from the Amplified. I thank my God for your fellowship, yes, the expansion, your sympathetic cooperation and contributions and partnership in advancing the good news, the gospel, from the first day you heard it until now. Everybody say partnership. 
partnership. Now that word, if you look at the original Greek meaning, I went to the Strong's Concordance, is number 2842 for those who are taking notes. So it's the Greek word 2842. The Greek word is the word koinonia. Koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Koinonia means, and here's the definition, partnership, the share which one has in anything, participation, intercourse, fellowship, intimacy, the right hand as a sign and pledge of fellowship in fulfilling the apostolic office, a gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution as exhibiting proof of fellowship. So you can see it's a very deep word. In fact, koinonia is the same word used between a husband and a wife. And it's more than just sex in bed when they say intercourse. It's talking about that fellowship, a partnership where you're husband and wife building a home, building a family, same vision, advancing the family, raising children, establishing a family unit. It takes a partnership to do that. If you talk about partnership, what does partnership mean? If you think of terms of business, I may have a brilliant idea. I've got an amazing idea, an invention. It's going to change the world, but I don't have any kind of savings or anything. I can't really go anywhere with that. What do I do with this great idea? But then you have got millions in the bank. Say amen. Amen. And... <laughs> With those millions in the bank, you may be looking for somewhere to invest. And at the moment, it's just kind of stored in a bank account. You don't get much interest there, and, but you want your money to expand. You're looking to make a profit off of it. But you just need one great idea. But you don't have an idea, but we meet one day, and I tell you my idea, and you go, that's it. That idea will change the world. So what are we going to do? We come into... Partnership. What does that mean? We come into an agreement. I bring the idea, but I don't have the finances. You have the finances. I don't have the idea. Uh, you don't have the idea, but you bring the idea and the finances together, and together we'll make a great profit. We both increase as a result of that. And so if, if you had the idea and the finances, you would need a partnership. Because obviously, why would you give your profits to someone else if you can do it and make 100% profit? No, the partnership means I take what I have and you take what you have and we both bring it to the table and together we can do far more. And so Paul's saying that's exactly what they did. They came into partnership. And what's he talking about? Well, let's keep reading here. You'll see if you have a look at... Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Now, we're going to be staying in Philippians for a while, so you may as well keep your marker there. We're just going to flip backwards and forwards. Verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, we know from the first chapter, he said that from the beginning. But there was a phase that they didn't have opportunity. How many you know sometimes there's, you want to do something, but there's, the occasion hasn't come for it? And Paul says, now, I know you wanted to take care of me, but you didn't have the opportunity. But now I'm writing to you again because the opportunity has arisen. And he says, not that I speak in regard to need, 
I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now I want to bring something up here and I'm going to show you later again, it will refer to it a few times in, in some of our, in the rest of the scriptures, is you will notice that there, very often what happens when you start talking about matters like this, the enemy has a way of getting in there. Like when somebody starts talking about you giving something, what are they trying to get out of me? What's in it for them? That's, I know you've never thought that. I'm just, I'm just saying it, it is out there. Maybe you know someone who has thought that. You know, what does the church need my money for? What is, uh, they just want to take my money. Now, here's the thing. Paul is saying, I'm writing to you, and you'll see he says it's often. It's not about me. But yet he addresses it. Why? Because you will see. We're trying to get to verse 19. Are you getting this? So the enemy wants to cloud that and try and make it, oh, the pastor or the preacher or the churches, all churches, are, are you with me? Now, how do you know there are people that abuse a system? But abuse of a system doesn't negate the truth. How do you know that there are unethical doctors out there? There's doctors that abuse the medical system and they're putting insurance that doesn't belong to them. Come on, are you with me? But does that mean you, know, you just ignore all doctors? No, you make sure you go to an ethical doctor. Isn't that right? Lawyers, you name it, bankers, whatever. You make sure that you stay with someone that you know is ethical, but don't throw the truth out because they are unethical. There are always people that will try and abuse a system. But be sure you're with somebody like Paul who says, he says, I'm not doing this for my need. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I've been down, I've been up. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things through the anointed one and his anointing that strengthens me. What's he saying? I don't need you. You are not my provision. You are not my supply. When you weren't even around, I was down and out. I didn't have anybody looking after me. But you know what I did find? No matter where I am, God always took care of me. That anointing always looked after me. I didn't, you didn't come along now, I'm suddenly rich. Are you getting this? See, family, this counts in the middle of a desert. The children of Israel went through a desert. There were no malls in the desert. There were no banks to get loans from. There was no company to employ and pay salaries. And yet, they were fed for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out on them. Why? The anointed one was with them. You getting this? So when we start talking about these things, it's not to get anything out of you. Paul says, listen, I'll go straight to the bottom again because I find that even if I'm at the bottom, God's still there. He'll still look after me. I want it clear in your mind. It's not you that takes care of these things. Amen. Amen. 
with that in mind, he says, verse 14, nevertheless, you've done well because you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Even though I didn't need you, because Christ makes me able, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And yet, you still took care of me. You found out in Thessalonica, how many of you know in your Bible you've got First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. So church, uh, Paul had planted a church there, and when he was preaching there, they didn't look after him. Because he said, no other church shared with me in giving and receiving. How you know, everybody was receiving from Paul. They were receiving the word, they were receiving the anointing, they were receiving what he had to give, but they, the only church that gave back. And he says, because of that, I'm writing to you. This is why I think of you always with joy in my heart. You have a place in my heart because you're the only church that saw this. And even when I was in Thessalonica, because if you go read Corinthians, you'll notice there, he said that he had to go and make tents to make a living. Sometimes people use that and see that. Now, Paul had to work. Why didn't the pastors work and make their own money? No, no. Paul writes to the church. He says, I had to do that because you didn't look after me. But I needed to still preach the gospel to you. See, that's the power. If no one paid me a salary, I'd still be doing this. If no one gave, I would still be doing it. Are you with me? But that doesn't mean there's nothing available if someone does. So he's dealing with his church in Corinth. And he says, I had to make tents. So evidently in, in Thessalonica, a similar thing happened. They weren't supporting him. But the church in Philippi heard about that. And they said, if the Thessalonians won't support you, we will. You don't have to make tents. You just preach. We'll pay for you. And Paul said, that was their partnership. He was preaching, but he didn't have the finances to do it. But they had the finances and they made sure he could preach. Now, with that in mind, you understand that this is the principle of God's word, that he uses finances to preach the word. That's why we have scriptures like Malachi 3 verse 10. It says, bring how much? All the tithe where? To the storehouse. Why? That there's food in my house. See, when you bring the tithe, you're establishing the provision for the word of God to be preached. And you notice what God says, and prove me now in this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out blessing, there's not room enough to contain it. That's the only place God says, prove me. Remember we're talking just now about Jesus being tempted and he always said, it is written. Well, the devil thought he'd do the same thing. And he said, well, it is written. Took him up to the temple. Said, throw yourself off the, off the wall. It's written that if you do that, the angels will bear you up. You'll not even dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus knew exactly where he was going with that. And he said, it is written, you don't test God. You don't tempt God. In other words, if God has spoken, you don't have to figure out if it's true or not. 
The fact that God said it settles it. You've heard this said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You don't even need I believe it in between. God said it, that settles it. Now I believe it means you can now draw on it and make it yours. Hallelujah. But the point I'm making is you don't test God and yet yes, the only place God says, now try me out. I want you to see that I'm your provision. How do you do that? You make sure there's enough finances in the house of God to preach the gospel. You bring that partner to me, I will make sure my blessing works in your life. See, there's that partnership again. That's what it is. It's not about a religious obligation. It's not about ticking off the boxes. It's not following the law. It is a partnership. Everybody say partnership. So now come and have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going back to Philippians, so keep your mark there. Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. Who's he talking about? This is that church in Philippi. And he tells them in Corinth, even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. That's different, isn't it? Usually when people get to suffer and struggle, they start blaming God. They, they, it drives them to joy. <laughs> Hallelujah. And from the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. Hallelujah. See, again, this is where people say, oh, they're just exploiting the poor. Paul is writing here and saying, these guys are poor, and instead of them getting upset and they need and they want and you've got to give to us and standing at the door with their hands open, you've got to look after me as a poor person, that turned them to become even more generous. Amen. Say amen. amen. Verse 3, for I can verify that they spontaneously gave. Everybody say spontaneously. What's he saying? He's keep coming back to the fact. I didn't tell them to do this. There's no ways I would have made them do it. But when they heard about it, they did it automatically. They spontaneously gave, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. They begged us to give. I wonder how many people do that today. Oh, oh, it's very quiet when I ask that question. <laughs> Amen. How many people are running down the church? We must give, we must give. No, no, we, we got way too much. It's, it's over. We don't need it. No, I'm giving anyway. They begged. Paul must have said, hey, guys, listen, I know you're struggling. You got things you need to deal with at home. But they said, no, we need to do this. They begged him to give. And verse 5, they exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and then to us, according to God's pleasure. By the way, I'm reading this from the Passion Translation. That is why we appeal to Titus, since he was the one who got you started and encouraged you to give, so he could help you complete this generous undertaking on your behalf. Now he's talking to the church in Corinth. And he's using this church in Macedonia 
as an example. He says, you do well, this church in Corinth. You excel in every respect, in unstoppable faith, in powerful preaching, in revelation knowledge, in your passionate devotion, in sharing in the love we have shown to you. How many realize this is a strong church? He says, no, so make sure you also excel in grace-filled generosity. So obviously they were doing everything else except this one thing which this church in Philippi hooked into. And now is encouraging them to catch up. Now again, verse 8, I'm not saying this as though I was issuing an order. You see there, that's the heart. The New King James says, I'm not commanding you. See, again, I'm telling you this not to enforce you to do anything. It's still going to be your decision. But I want you to be aware of what's happening. He says in verse 8, I'm not saying this though as issuing an order, but to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians as a challenge to you. For you have experienced the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake, so that by his poverty, we could become rich beyond measure. Say hallelujah. See, there again, family, a lot of people have this misunderstanding that Jesus was poor. You know, he had nowhere to lay his head and they were just kind of dragging themselves around preaching the gospel. And if we want to be like Jesus, you know, he never, he had to ride a donkey shame, you know, and well, it was such a poor life they led. Then you don't understand Jesus. Haven't read enough scripture. Because if you understand how Jesus lived while he was on this earth, I don't know many people who can hold a dinner party and invite 5,000 people. And feed everybody till there's overflow, leftovers. Uh, you, you need some money to pay your taxes? How many wouldn't mind when it's time for tax coming up and you see you owe some money, just go down here to the beach and throw a line in and pull some gold out the water. Uh, you know, that's exactly how Jesus did it. Go catch a fish and there's enough gold there for you and me. Uh, yeah, this man was not poor. Are you with me? I don't have time to get into all of that. But here's the point. What is Paul saying? That even though he was fully provided, he became poor. Not so that you can also be poor, but that you through his poverty might be made rich. So not only did Jesus pay the price for your eternal life in heaven, but he also bore every sickness and every disease that by his stripes you be healed. He became the curse that you through that, him doing that, you can be blessed. And included in that is your financial freedom. See, this is what we must renew our minds to. Financial freedom doesn't mean you're going to be necessarily a millionaire. Not everybody has to be a millionaire. But family of God, God does want you in a life where you don't use all your faith just to get your rent paid. He wants you fully provided for. Every need met. Hallelujah. You don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about clothing, transport, accommodation. It's all provided. God wants you in a place where you can be a blessing in other people's lives. And notice he said this. He's trying to say to them, you want to be that? You have to come up to the level of these Macedonians. 
So let's go back then to Philippians chapter 1. Now we understand the context. It says, I thank my God, verse 3, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your partnership. Everybody say partnership. Now we know what he's talking about here. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Now verse 7, I want to read this from the King James Version because there's an important aspect I want to bring across to us. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you, it means even though it's right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, listen to this now, you are all partakers of my grace. See, that word my is left out of the New King James, but it's important to get it in context with Philippians 4.19 because he said something interesting, my God supply your need. Now, someone who is argumentative could say, excuse me, he's our God, but he's getting a point across here. My God. What's he talking about? How many understand God gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? For what purpose? To equip us. For what? The work of the ministry. How are you going to do that? By an anointing. Those fivefold ministry, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, are walking in that office with an anointing. And in that anointing is grace that enables us to do what we do. Now he's saying, because you partner with me, you partner with that grace. What grace is he talking about? Have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. This is Paul writing. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm an apostle, planting churches, removing burdens, destroying yokes, getting people saved. It's all by the grace of God. How do you understand? That's the anointing at work. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Now he says the same thing to his disciple, Timothy. Have a look at one, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in the anointed one, Jesus. Now, I like the way the Passion Translation puts it because this brings out what I've been talking about. He says from the Passion Translation, Timothy, my dear son, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace, which is your true strength, found in the anointing of Jesus and your union with Him. So notice, I can do all things through the anointing of the anointed one that strengthens me. And he tells Timothy now, be strong in that same anointing. And that he, he spoke, it's the grace that's found in that anointing. So that grace is flowing because of the anointing. Say that grace flows because of the anointing. Now, have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember chapter 8 we read just now? He was dealing about the church in Philippi and how the church of Corinth must come up to that same level. He says in chapter 9, verse 6, This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now listen to this. So let each one give as he purposes, purposes 
in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. He keeps coming back. Guys, you don't have to do this. Amen. Like so, I've heard people say, oh no, the church steals the money from the people. Please give me a break. How many of you walked in the door and someone held you up and said, before you go sit down, give us all your money? No. Anybody that gives in this house. Now, there may be churches that will put a lot of pressure on people. But yeah, you know, those that have been at this for some time, it's always been, what is God telling you to do? You decide. I'll tell you the, 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 the privilege of the word, the results of it. But at the end of the day, it's still your choice. Say, it's still my choice. So there he says, yeah, you don't have to give. Don't give grudgingly. Don't give out a necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make how much? All grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now you see in that statement is your full provision. And I want you to get a hold of this family. Very often when we talk in this context, people automatically think of rands and cents, money. But how you know all sufficiency in all things is not just about money. You can have 10 million rand in the bank and still be missing important things in your life. This is all sufficiency. The money is included. Finances are included. But this is the anointing. If you see someone with a sickness, you can lay hands on them and they'll be healed. That anointing to remove burdens and destroy yokes. If you know someone needs an encouraging word, it'll be more than just a hug and God bless you. Let me give you some chicken soup. I hope you feel better tomorrow. No, it's an anointed word that will remove the thing that's causing the problem. You speak an anointed word that encourages somebody. You see a need. You're able to give in a way that is more than just tipping. You actually set them out of, from their bondage. Pay off someone's house for them. You're getting what I'm saying. It's, it's all sufficiency in all things and abundance for every good work. Now notice, and God is able. The Greek word there is dinatos or dinatos. I don't know. I'm not Greek. I'm just reading D-Y-N-A-T-O-S. The root word of that is dunamis, the power of God. God has full power available. How does it come though? Through grace. This grace. And Paul is saying now, because of your partnership, this grace is available to you. What you see operating in my life, because you partnered, flows into your life. If I'm wet and you hug me, you'll also be wet. See, there's a partnership Jesus said he receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, receives the prophet's reward. See, God always moves through the body. Your finger is incapable of living on its own. I don't need the church. I don't need people. I don't need a pastor. The Holy Spirit will teach me. That was never God's design. God gives you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip us why that through that grace that flows as long as my finger is in partnership with my hand and my hand is in partnership with my arm my arms in partnership with a body then everything that flows in through this mouth food nutrients supply energy it all gets distributed to the fingers as well so the fingers help in picking it up 
and it doesn't even eat. It doesn't do all the dirty work down there, all the stinky stuff. It just gets to enjoy the anointing of what it picked up. Partnership. Are you getting this? And so by partnering, the full grace that's on that ministry flows into your life as well. You are partakers of my grace. He's not owning it. It's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. Partnering with the anointing. Now, go back to verse 8. Philippians 1. Philippians 1 verse 8. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray. Here's the prayer that I pray over you every day. This is added to the two that I used last week. So this morning I've already prayed this over you. You ready to hear what it is? Say, I've been prayed over. I come into agreement with it. Here's what he prays. That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. See, every prayer seems to come back to that you will growing discernment, that you will have spiritual insight, that you'll have knowledge. Why is that? You see, family, I can pray that the devil be bound out of your life and God protect you. But, you know, in brackets, it's like me saying, God, please protect them. No matter how stupid they are, just look after them. Now, I would never say that about you. But that's how you realize we can still do stupid things, even though someone's praying for our protection. But he's saying, I'm going to take it deeper. I want you to understand. I want you to have insight. It's not just me as the revelation man of God. No, you have to have the same revelation. Because if you understand the ways of God, you understand how he thinks, you know who he is, you know his ways, you know why he says something, you'll make the right decisions. And that's part of his prayer. And so he prays that you have this knowledge and discernment and that you may approve, verse 10, the things that are excellent. Look for what's accurate in the ministry. How you know we can do stupid things? People say stupid things. People do stupid things. Don't look at that. Look at the things that are excellent. The preaching of the word, the accuracy of the scriptures. What is God telling us? I'm yet to receive faith. And that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Everybody say, without offense. Family of God, that's the one thing I've noticed after 30 years of the ministry, pastoring this church. One of the primary ways the enemies manage to uproot people is through offense. It amazes me how people can overcome so many different things and then offense comes in and they blow up. Shows you how effective the enemy can be. My prayer is that no matter what happens in your life, you're protected from offense. Now you have to receive that. You have to say, I refuse to be offended. My pastor prayed that over me, therefore I do not take offense. Say that, I refuse to be offended. See, it's a trick of the enemy, family. We need to resist it and walk away from it. Verse 11. That you are filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Hallelujah. We're talking about God's full provision here. Now, I don't have time to read everything in detail. I encourage you to read the rest of Philippians because it's all talking about the flow of this grace that's now available. 
He said some profound things. If you go and have a look at chapter 3, he comes down, he talks about how he was so successful in his natural life. He was educated as a, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous for the things of God. He was been to all the best schools. And yet he gets down to verse 7, says, But what things were gained to me, these are counted loss. For what reason? This anointing of the anointed one. The one thing all that education did not give me was the anointing. It's the anointing, the anointed one. That's who I want in my life. And he says, yes, I indeed count all things lost for the excellence and knowledge of Christ my Lord, for which I've suffered the loss of all things. But I count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain this anointing of the anointed one. Be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in this anointed one. Hallelujah. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. I press on that I may lay hold of for that which is Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I forget the things which are behind. I, preach for, I reach forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the gulf of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? I've been through some tough times. I've been misunderstood. I've been beaten up. They stoned me. Maybe it was racism. Maybe it was hatred. Maybe it was criticism. He says, I've been through a lot of junk. But you know what? The anointing's more important. I put all of that behind me. I forgive all. I hold nothing against anybody. And he said things like, I've wronged no one. <laughs> really? I read where you had people stoned. I've wronged no one. Why? He's talking about not the dead man, the one who's alive in Christ. He's trusting the grace. I put it so far behind me, I don't even think about it anymore. Why? I'm pressing on for the anointing. Come on, you get a hold of that. Give Jesus praise. See, family, sometimes we can hold on to our history and play the victim but it's not gonna get us to this anointing. How many wanna walk powerfully in the anointing? Then we need to do as Paul did, amen? Look at verse six of chapter four. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through this anointing of the anointed one, Jesus. See, it keeps coming back to the state of your mind. And he's addressed that in this power of partnership. And that's where we get now to verse 10. And we read it already, but let's read it to complete it. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through this anointing of the anointed one who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share in my distress. Now you Philippians know also 
that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. It's amazing how often he has to say that. Well, I still have to say it today. Because I want you to get the truth of the word, not thinking there's an ulterior motive. Amen. I've said this before, family, and I say it boldly because I really believe it. That if anybody questions my motive, then listen to what I teach, walk away. We don't have to be friends, but go find someone you can do this with. Because it's still the truth. See, if you think I'm trying to get anything out of you, then you're, then you're looking at it from the wrong direction. That's what Paul says. I'm not seeking the gift, but the fruit that abounds to your account. That's always my motive for teaching you anything. I don't need, I, I can live by this and go be a millionaire, you know, in the IT industry. That's my beginning and I could, was very good at it. But my motive is God called me to teach this. And so that's what Paul's saying. I'm not looking for anything out of you, but I want you to enjoy the fruit of what you've done. So to do that, I have to bring faith. Faith comes by, so I need to talk about it. That's what he's saying. And then verse 18, indeed I have all, I abound, I'm full, I've received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an, acceptic, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. What do we know about pleasing God? Faith pleases God. Amen. Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. So this was a faith act of theirs. So he says, listen, I'm blessed. I have more than I need. You've looked after me. It's wonderful sacrifice to God. And because of your partnership and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Paul and Timothy, written to the church in Philippi. How many of you have partnered with Janine and me? You bring the tithe in, you sow your seed. That's partnering. You're bringing your part so that we don't have to labor somewhere else so that we can equip ourselves to come and give a spirit-filled word instead of something I grab on Saturday night. Now, because you've partnered, then I can say, Pastor Allen and Janine, to the church in the Bay Christian Family Church in the Western Cape. Amen. Now you have your letter. Everything Paul has said, I can say to you. You are partakers of my grace. And because you supplied, the word of God can be preached. And my God, Alan Bag, shall supply all your. Now you are a your. Amen. So now you qualify. Because you know, Pastor Alan prayed this over you this morning. He said his God will supply my need. Now that is a correct, accurate use of that verse. 
You're not just claiming it out of the air. You're saying, hang on, I have partnered. Therefore, he prayed that prayer over me so I can now receive it. My needs are supplied according to his riches. His riches. Not your bank account. Not your boss. His riches, where? In glory. How does it get to me? By the anointed one, Jesus. Hallelujah. And then Paul rounds off and he says in verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Come on, give Jesus praise if you got a hold of that. So family of God, I wanted you to hear that because it's important to understand where you are. See, we, we do receive the Lord's tithe and offerings every week, but I want to make sure it never becomes just another religious ritual. Oh, here it is. The pastor says something. Let me throw some money in. Let me see what I got. Oh, hallelujah. Because the problem is that you may give something and it can always be used. But I want you to position yourself to understand what you're doing and make that adjustment in your thinking today that as you bring the Lord's tithe and you sow your seed, you are doing more than just ticking a box. You're doing more than just paying the bills. You're doing more than just the religious obligation. You are partnering. As a result, others can come to hear the gospel. I mean, when you came to this church, other than those that have been with us for many years, when you arrived, was the building here? The chairs were here? All the equipment was here? How's that possible? Because someone else partnered, and you came to hear the gospel, and you were saved. So now, you're making sure that that can happen. So every time you give, you're empowering the next person that comes in to be saved. That same anointing that removes burdens and destroys yokes out of your life does it in the next person's life. And because of that partnership, you can allow that anointing to flow into your family, into your business, into your finances, your investments, your mind. You've partnered with the anointing and it's available to you. And then in turn, you can impart that into other people's lives. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And so as you get ready today, know this, you are partnering with the preaching of the gospel. Now you understand it. Now you can walk in it and the fruit abounds to your account. You get something this morning? Oh, yes. Come on, let's give Jesus praise for his word. <laughs>